but they have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, I haven't got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Good ball. What I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. Welcome to House of Champions, YouTube friends, drop in your comments and questions in the chat and make sure you smash the like and subscribe button as we review the games from today's World Cup action. In the house today, Jonathan Johnson. How are you doing, John? Let's say hi to Lucho Garcia, but let's also welcome with a golf clap, Kate Mason. Kate Mason, how are you doing? Special guest today. How are you? Hello, everybody. Having a great time. How are you doing? I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you on delay. Give me a second. Give me a second. Why Don't worry about it. You on delay? We'll push on. You can push mute. You can sort it out and then come back to us. Yeah, I'll just be the whole show without without hearing you. And <laughs> well, if Nigel Rio Coco is here, that would be an improvement on what you're hearing. <laughs> yeah, if you could Hello, see, if you, you, you could so stay on mute, it'd be great. All right, Kate, we'll fix it. We'll fix it. Well, don't worry about it. Yeah, I just want to check in real quickly with Luis Garcia because he looks like he's sweating a little bit right there, Lucho. <laughs> few sweats running down the forehead at the 90th minute point now yeah definitely and it's been quite and very interesting to have some of this game and uh, Spain looked so good once again so solid a lot of confidence but yeah you know against German you cannot sleep any minute because uh, that's the way it is they are waiting for a chance just to to break the, the score and well today it was in the last minute when they had the best chance and well at least we got the point and we can go to the last one uh, believing that it's almost all done. JJ just want to touch bases with you because in our chat I was absolutely hammering the fact that he brought Fulkrug onto the pitch only for him to <laughs> score moments later. How are you doing? What did you think of the game? I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I am kind of curious after full time who would win in a race between Zula and Full Krug, but I guess we'll have to find the answer to that out another day. But no, really, actually, really enjoyed pretty much all the football today. Shame to see Canada dropping out, but uh, it's actually been a really, really entertaining game across all four matches. Kate, how's the improvement? Are you caught up with us yet, timing wise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hearing every word loud and clear. I'm living it twice, but um, I've managed to get rid of one 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 version of it, um, which is kind well, of how I guess Lewis was feeling at the end of that game as well. It was so much fun. I mean, from a neutral yeah. perspective, I mean, as if you can ever be neutral watching a World Cup, really, when your team is still in it. But yeah, it was such a fun game to watch, and you just felt like you just felt like Spain could do anything on the counter, and that German defense. I don't know, guys. I think they need to. Um, they got some problems there still. I mean, for that, for that, for the goal, it was just get in front of your man. Come on. So yeah, yeah it was fun, but there were there were obviously lots of errors showing up. I'm actually glad there was goals in that game because I felt like if it finished no no, we would all be left incredibly disappointed. Let's get into it. Okay, we start with Group B. Match day two is underway. Spain, obviously, against Germany is a big talking point. Uh, congratulations to Alvaro Morata, who did open the score in his second of the tournament, 29th all-time for Spain. In only 59 games, Luis Garcia, I'm coming to you first because Nicolas Fulkrug, 83 minutes into the game, leveled things out. Germany fans will be happy because they still have a big opportunity of getting through. But from a Spanish side of things how how happy are you I mean that was a Spain victory probably in the hand that they gave away yeah I'm happy of course I mean we cannot forget the first game it was fantastic we all know I think that Spain show what they are capable of after seeing today's result in Costa Rica against Japan that, that it wasn't that easy but uh, when you play against Germany you know that you're gonna face uh, top players players that never give up players that they are gonna be always ready and you give something they're going to grab it. And today it was a, a proven of that. I like it the way Spain um, approached the game. And nothing uh, at the back, not uh, speculating with the result or they could be. They're going for it, trying to be dominating the game. And with the players up front, once again, moving a lot, trying to get rid of uh, that tough defense that uh, even though that is true that they leave sometimes space and they make mistakes, we've seen uh, Neuer once again give it away a few passes that uh, Spain could have um, uh, capitalized a little bit better. But uh, a very good uh, uh, result, in my in my opinion. Um, after what you've seen, yeah, you, in contrast, you could have a few more chances, uh, score maybe another goal. But again, Germany as well. Um, if uh, Rudiger was just one inch uh, behind that defender and scored that first goal, I don't know what would have happened uh, having uh, the, the lead on this game. So 
uh, very happy with that uh, result and looking forward for the next game. This Spain, when you are going to try to win the World Cup, it, it doesn't matter against who do you face on every game that you're going to uh, uh, go for it. So you need to win against everybody. So yeah, going for the next one. I think it feels good as well, though, when you have, uh, you know, such a classic World Cup clash between two teams with such pedigree when it delivers uh, in the way that it did. I thought it was great, you know, and it's not just, you know, talking about Germany and Spain sort of being used to them coming up against each other at World Cups. It's, you know, there's also a fantastic amount of young talent on show as well. Really impressed by Muziala in patches, uh, you know, Pedri, Gavi, you know, really enjoying their tournaments so far as well. So, you know, there were, there was a lot to, to take away from uh, from from that game i don't think i'm totally convinced uh you know by spain yet as potential title winners but uh you know there obviously is still time to improve i'm just uh you know shocked by what happened in the group earlier on in the day with costa rica actually you know coming back to life and taking japan by surprise because suddenly you know this group is wide open and i think spain can even still drop out this is such a quality group, isn't it? Groupie, this is the fun. This is the stuff we live for in these World Cups. I mean, I quite enjoy, I actually quite enjoyed seeing Avaro Morata putting that goal away, the opener, because I feel like he was quite, quite under-respected when he played in England for Chelsea. And I always like to see him just, you know, doing what he can do, getting in behind, um, playing well. And they're just, you're, you're right, JJ, as well. The kind of combination of the, you got your Busquets in the middle for Spain and then the two little kids running around showing such sparkle and flair. It's fun, right? And Jamal Musiala, obviously, as an England fan, like sad to see him play for this particular team, but he was always shaking things up. You know, it was, it was, he was in their semi-creating the the second goal the equalizer and and it's just it was just exciting to see you just felt like anything anything could happen especially at the very end there Luis as you were worrying about but yeah 1-1 seems like actually Spain controlled it for a, a big period but it probably is a fair result Ian. Yeah, I think, listen, from a German perspective, obviously very disappointed at the fact that they didn't pick up all three points, but incredibly relieved the fact that they got a point and they're still in the competition. But we must not forget that this was a very close, close, close game. They could have won this game, Germany. Maybe you could say that Spain probably deserved to win it, but some of the chances that Germany had at the end of the game, um, the little layoff to, to Fulcrud instead of uh, Jamal Musiala going for goal there, it's a simple tap-in. It's small decisions what happens with youngsters when they're in big games and big moments, but I don't blame him for going for goal in that moment right there. You're probably not even recognizing the run off the ball. And then as Lucho pointed out there, if uh, Germany were fitter, if they had... Um, their full squad, their full strength squad, it would have been a different animal. I think it's still a great game to watch. It was a fun watch. We were sitting on the edges of our seat, waiting to actually see which way this game would go. Obviously, I was hoping that uh, Rudiger got that opening goal. It was the right decision. Um, but at the end of the day, I think everyone seems to leave happy. Lucho, I've got a question coming into you from Rafa. He says, how do you feel about Thiago not being there? Is it Rafa Benitez? I know Rafa Cardinal. That's good. <laughs> imagine, can you imagine? Rafa mentioned. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, when you see what we got in the middle of the park, you you can say, yeah, but not another option having him on the on the bench, unless, yes, I miss uh, Thiago. I think he, he can provide something different. Uh, you know that the, he loves to be in between the lines, those passes uh, to the space, the creativity. When he, you need to have someone with them. Um, with experience to hold the ball, to keep it, and understanding the, the what, what it needs to be done in, during the game, I think that Thiago is uh, magnificent in, on that. So, yeah, I miss him over there. But um, I, I mean, Gavi, Pedri, Busquets—they've been playing for two games, no changes, and they're gonna be like this probably for the whole tournament because today's winning. I will have seen maybe a few changes in, in the middle and give it a little bit more time for Tukoke or Carlos. But at the moment, I think that Spain needs to continue going. So, yeah, we will miss uh, Thiago probably uh, in the coming games because he's a different player uh, when, when he's on the last third. Kate, let me get your thoughts on Jamal Musiala. You mentioned his name a moment ago. Obviously, he had yes. a fantastic game today. Probably should have stuck that in the back of the net or squared it. But he's showing again his world class at the top level, performing well again. What he's got is that ability that you see in these players who are coming through at a very young age, the ability to be an old head on young shoulders. And I think although the the counter narrative to that is the fact that he he didn't manage to finish, he still looked the you know the right side of cockiness when he when he was on the ball he's he's confident without pushing it and okay yeah maybe he if he'd been thinking a little bit slower in that moment he could have done better 
But even still, it's such a delight to see him play in that way and just to look like, uh, hey, it's an old cliche, but look like he's just having a ball at the bloody World yeah. Cup. Like, incredible. <laughs> Ian, JJ, you got a question? Now, with, uh, with, with full Krug's... Like, I mean, obviously we know he's a late bloomer. Uh, you know, he's very, very, uh, you know, sort of late to the World Cup party as well, given that he was only included in, I think, the final squad before the World Cup. But he's, you know, scoring goals at international level now, has spent much of his career in the in the second tier in Germany. But do you think that Germany are actually starting to wake up now to needing that kind of forward, that kind of focal point of the attack, a target man, somebody who can be physical after years of, you know, basically that kind of player just not existing for the German national team? Yeah, listen, I think if you if you go back the years and when Germany have these World Cups or major tournaments where they don't perform well, where they have hiccups and things don't look quite right, there's a massive investment in, in the Bundesliga. There's a massive investment in uh, youth soccer in particular, where they focus on trying to introduce new blood and, and spend more money in the academy to get better players, to maybe create an opportunity to, to create yet again another superstar or put together like what we witnessed in 2014, a superstar team. They need strikers right now. As you witness, obviously, I was a little bit upset that Mukoko didn't come onto the pitch. Um, I know he's only young. I know he's raw. Um, but I probably would have loved to have seen him thrown into the deep end here. However, Fukuro came on at his age, what, 29 now, scoring his second goal in his third international game. Fantastic to see. But I think it's clearly evident, JJ, that they need to find new blood. They need to find new killers. You can't rely on what's happened in the past with this Germany side, and I don't think they're stupid enough to, to be doing that. I think what you'll see is they will start to really reinvest in the youth, given an opportunity in the Bundesliga in particular, where you're seeing young German strikers get a chance at 17, 18, 19 years old, rather than spending a ton of money on a lot of big signings coming into the club, they're going to start to focus on giving these kids an opportunity to play. If they're good enough, they will play at that level. There's no doubt about it. So it's a great question to ask. Lucho, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was going to mention that, and you get, give freedom to other players. You you stick with uh, Muller up front. That is not a place where he is enjoying, and you don't take uh, all his abilities. He's a runner in between the lines. He always arrived very well uh, from second line, and you stick him up front, running around the players of Rodri, Laporte, and Busquets. That is never going to get that ball because they are just too good. If you put a striker that is going to stick there, there, wait for that, um, leave the balls, grab the balls and leave for, to the player from second line, you got a lot of players who can come. Goreska from second line, Navri, they look to get, get into the middle. When you got a player that is right there in between the, the two centre-back, there is always a worry. And you know that he can finish the games when the balls are wide. So I think it was a fantastic chance when he come on. And he should be focusing on playing him in the last game because you're going to need goals and you need everybody in his position. A couple of quick comments coming in. One from Delboy Zero. He says, is Kimmich really world-class? There's the question right there. You know, we could certainly question it, but he looked pretty damn good in that midfield today. Muller is done, says Vic. That's a big talking point right there. However, Germany... They need to be able to find these replacements before you can start to lose some of these big dogs from this squad. Let's move on to the other game in the group. Japan against Costa Rica early this morning on the East Coast. It was very difficult to wake up and watch this one, but I'm happy for CONCACAF because JJ, <laughs> Costa Rica got the victory against Japan. Keisha Fuller with the goal. Uh, exceptional finish as well it was, but a massive win for Costa Rica, which has completely opened up this group. Yeah, huge. I mean, I don't think any of us would have predicted that Costa Rica scored uh, against Japan, let alone got the win. But, you know, here we are. And, you know, suddenly that gives the group a completely different complexion heading into those final games. And it just goes to show, you know, you can't underestimate anybody at this level. Uh, you know, every dog can have their day. And, uh, you know, this day happened to be Costa Rica's. I was really impressed with the way that they were able to rally themselves, to lift themselves after what was a really demoralizing, uh, you know, defeat to, to Spain. You know, I think the debates that we've had over Costa Rica's squad have been justified because there are so many old legs in that team. Uh, but, uh, you know, they ended up, uh, you know, getting the, the job done here. You know, I think Japan will really be kicking themselves. This was a huge opportunity for them to have six points out of six on the board. But, uh, you know, if you take those kind of matches for granted, which, you know, let's be honest, Japan may well have done, having looked at, you know, the way that, that Spain racked up nearly a cricket score against them. Uh, you know, that's that, that's what can happen at uh, at this level. But this is why we're loving this World Cup. There's so many unexpected great performances and uh, and shock results and, you know, uh, long, long live uh, these sorts of performances. 
God, JJ, can't we leave your calling in Costa Rica a dog after that performance that they managed to put in? That's outrageous. Any Costa Ricans write in and uh, give JJ some hassle. Uh, yeah, one shot on target in two games and they managed to get three points. That's not a bad, that's not a bad situation in the end, is it? Case Good ratio. <laughs> yeah, it's good ratio. I mean, that's the, that's the sort of thing Hansi Flick wants to know a bit more about. But Kesha Fuller, yeah, great bit of skill. Did we think did we think the Japan goalkeeper Shrishi Gonda was a little bit out of position, like not strong enough to keep that out? Okay, it was obviously a great a great finish, but yeah, he kind of he, he was a little bit isolated when he was trying to make that save. And then, of course, Japan had that big chance on eighty seven ish minutes as well. So, you know, for them to manage to hang on and get those points, exactly as you were talking about, it is mad if you think about the psychology of that, that they come out there seven nil and then they're able to just like nick that chance and hang on in there and get the win. Yeah, definitely. For me, <clears throat> I got two to things that from this game is uh, Daichi Kamada not involved is a massive, massive miss for, for Japan because they can all run, but the talent, it comes from this player. And when he's not on the ball, I think today it was a little bit low. I think it was, uh, wasn't was good enough and, and the team just missed it. And the other thing is Moriyasu, the coach, making two changes at halftime, trying to be clever, trying to change. It worked in the first game. And I think he thought, you know what? I'm going to do another masterclass. I'm going to change these two players and then we're going to start attacking like this and it didn't work. And that can happen when maybe you don't have the kind of experience in these kind of competitions. You need to stick a little bit sometimes. And we've seen it today, for example, with Germany. They didn't start making changes or didn't rush and making changes. They wait for the moment, to the right moment. I think the first game, Japan was waiting to that moment to say, listen, now we can do it. Now we can break them. Now there's going to be spaces. Let's do this and do that. And sometimes you get it right. And I think this time uh, they get it wrong and didn't work the way they expected. Well, when you can see that kind of goals, you're going to do much. But uh, definitely, I think that today it did work out for them. We got some nice uh, comments coming in here. Del Boy once again jumping in the comments saying the Costa Rica goal was very concafy. Uh, like <laughs> very concaf style here. Rafa jumping back in and saying Japan's coach crapped the bed and making five changes to the lineup going into this game was a really interesting decision. But it's made it very interesting now for all of these teams in Group B as we head to the final match day. Uh, Japan against Spain now and Germany against Costa Rica. I um, guess I'm going to come to you, Kate, now about a quick prediction as to who gets out of this group and who doesn't. Oh, I just, I'm so boring. I just think probably <laughs> Spain and Germany go through because this is, this is, well, not always what happens, obviously, but I just think at this point, I mean, Germany would argue with me on this, but yeah, I think probably in the end, despite all the fun, they do go through. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, I think Japan are now in this quite weak, uh, you know, position where they may well, uh, you know, find themselves having to, to play for the win because they can't rely on uh, you know going for a draw and you know not getting the results against Spain so I think pressure is now definitely you know back on them for Germany this is a great uh, you know second opportunity to be able to to snatch it later on against Spain and then uh, you know give themselves another another bite at it I do agree with Kate I do think it'll probably be Spain and Germany going through and if that is the case that's a huge huge opportunity missed by Japan mm -hmm. well, I got my doubts I got my doubts definitely because <laughs> Costa Rica look uh, today, they look strong. They, they are not going to give away anything. And uh, German, of course, they need to open up. They need to go for it. And I mean, I'm going to say if, uh, if um, Sane is on the, on the, on the team from the, first, from the beginning, I'm open to see Germany going through. If not, I go my doubts. I don't, if they give him uh, 30 minutes again, I know that he's, he's not relying on only one player, but that's the way I see it. In Japan against Spain, Spain trying to rotate a, little, a few players because you, want, you don't want these players to be tired uh, in the next game, in the knockouts. So I don't know. I go my doubts. Still going with you guys, I'm going to go for Spain, Germany after all this speech because I cannot say that Japan. So, Look, Joe, I yeah, feel like you're just that. saying this to piss me off. Are you trying yeah. to just piss me off? Is that what you're I trying to do here? I, There's I no way you I think that Costa Rica that. are going to cause problems. <laughs> no, no, no way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Great stuff as always. We're going to take a quick break. More to come from us. When we come back, we'll take a look at what's happening elsewhere in Group F. And then we'll also... Yeah, we'll talk to Kia about an interesting project she's been getting up to. You're watching House of Champions. Be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, don't stop watching the world's best soccer stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live on Paramount+. Plus. It's soccer's ultimate annual competition, not for country, but for club. Sign up today for 50% off an entire year using the code allyear at paramountplus.com slash sports. Welcome back, everybody. You're watching House of Champions. It's Ian Joy, Jonathan Johnson, Luis Lucho Garcia, and we have special guest Kate Mason in the house. Kate, we're delighted to have you with us here to discuss Inside Qatar World Cup Series. I've listened to the first episode haven't got all the way through it yet Kate so I do apologize for that but my oh my you blew me away with the first one some of the the interviews some of the people you were speaking to um it's been quite amazing so thank you so much for getting into it but the first question I have for you is you've lived in Qatar for a couple of years what was it like living over there for you personally um, I found it to be quite a strange experience uh, as if as an opener. I mean, I moved out there, yeah, in 2017. So I was there from 2017 to 2019. And I think I was pretty open-minded about heading out there. Like, I didn't know a lot about the Middle East. I was pretty excited to be somewhere that I knew was going to host the World Cup in what would it have been five years at that point. So, yeah, I think I just went out there to to work and to to see the place and to understand how somewhere like that could be hosting the biggest the biggest sporting event in the world right um and I think I was out there on my own like as in without a partner or like without a family and actually I think that's something that makes a big difference in Qatar because many people who are out there are there and live in kind of compounds and are there with their whole family and it's and it's a very safe place in the sense that like you know, kids are very well looked after and it's very family oriented and orientated from the perspective of the Qataris. Obviously, we know that there's a huge range of people who are there from all over the world, including thousands and thousands and thousands of people who've been there big, building the stadiums. And and it's it was I found it a bit difficult and almost like unpleasant, I guess, the way that the whole of society was organized so separately. So it was very hard to initially um, meet anybody who was doing anything different to you. Like there was kind of the Western expats were living all together and then the, blah, 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 all the different sectors of society. So um, I found that a bit bit odd. And, and over time, I started trying to meet more people from different parts of the world, partly just because it's such an amazing thing to be, you know, I didn't know really anybody from the Middle East until I lived there. So I got to know Jordanians, people from Syria, lots of people who've, who've, escape war-torn parts of the region who've come to Qatar and think of it as this great land of opportunity. So there's such a range of different perspectives there. And that was really, really valuable thing for me as a person to find out more about. And then going into this documentary was the most important thing I thought was to be able to ask these people exactly what their perspective is on the place. Because Qataris only make up 10% of the population of Qatar. It's mad if you think that effectively 350,000 Qataris have brought the whole world to their country. Yeah, it's bizarre. So the population is 3 million, but there's only this tiny little population of genuine citizens if you like and they it's impossible to become a citizen of Qatar even if you like married into a Qatari family which would be quite unlikely to happen um you don't get to become a citizen so it's a very tiny little unit and they are they're the bosses yeah this uh the you know Qatar's rise to being sort of a major player in the footballing world has been fascinating and obviously for me uh you know covering PSG close up since the takeover back in 2011. It really has been sort of phenomenal to, to see how that influence has grown, but I'm, I'm not going to beat about the bush. You know, there's obviously been a lot of discussion since the beginning of the tournament and the days leading up to it, uh, you know, about sort of FIFA's role in, you know, some of the sort of promises that were made before the tournament, certainly in terms of like the fan experience. I mean, do you feel that, you know, the finger of blame should perhaps be pointed more towards them in terms of, you know, some of the maybe misunderstandings that there were or misgivings, uh, you know, before the tournament. I'm talking about stuff like the, you know, fans going there expecting to be able to drink and then suddenly finding out that they couldn't last minute, that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, part of me has, I know this is a little bit sadistic, but part of me has quite enjoyed seeing FIFA being given the runaround by Qatar because my experience day to day of Qatar bureaucracy and like the way, the many hoops you had to jump through to get anything done um, and the, the absolute control that the Qatar state kind of has on everybody in the country. You remember, of course, there was the thing in the Brazil World Cup where it was like, oh, you're not, you're not going to be able to drink. Oh, okay, FIFA put their foot down there was a change to how booze was handled in stadiums. So it has been kind of fascinating to see that Qatar has managed to outmaneuver FIFA by sheer kind of, you're in our country and and this is the deal. It's, um, I, I don't know where they go from here. I guess it's a, it's a, it's a funding thing, right? They just, they just, they've just got so much, the GDP per capita of Qatar is bigger than anywhere else in the world. And, we know that about FIFA, you know, money talks. So it'll be interesting to see what the what the next steps are, particularly in the context of that booze thing, because, you know, the Budweiser, presumably, I haven't followed what's happened next with Budweiser, but presumably, you know, you make these changes to your to your commercial relationships. These are things that are pretty established and you, you don't want to be messing around with them. The other thing that I've that hasn't really surprised me, although I did expect them to just kind of turn into something like a, a a theme park that didn't much look like Qatar for the course of the World Cup is some of the people having their like rainbow flags and um, or even just rainbow hats confiscated. I assume the post, the approach tends to be when something plays out in a way that is embarrassing for like the Qatar government tends to be just that they will say, oh yeah, these were just one or two people and they were, they got it wrong and they were just, you know, like doing their own thing. And I don't know why they did that. Whereas it seems to have been like, oh yeah, this kind of is policy tough. So yeah, it, it's been interesting to see someone like FIFA go up against this kind of intractable uh, Qatar state. Yeah, Kate, I was I was a little bit intrigued. I had the chance also to play to play, you know, to to work over there on TV for a month, yeah, a couple of uh-huh. times uh, on being sports. Yeah. And of course, I, I was surrounded. There's been a lot of talks about how women is being treated there, how um, they are in see the, the different situations there as as a foreigner living there. How how did you feel? How was your 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 day by day? Because um, I didn't even have a chance to to see a lot of people working where I was uh, working. It was all about uh, um, football players or former football players arriving to yeah. studios and in and out. So no much. Of course, I saw uh, uh, women on on, um, on malls and stuff. But uh, for you as a foreigner, how was uh, uh, your day by day? Yeah, really good question, Luis. And I think that's a very, the, your experience is a very common one. And I think lots of people who have subsequently been more like uh Oh, many people have very positive experiences working in that setup for Qatar and, and quite, you know, you can understand why, because often, you know, you get the red carpet rolled out for you and you're not there for very long and 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 fine. Um, you're there to do a job. Um, in terms of being female, the thing is, I think it's um, an intersectional thing. Like I always felt that being British, I was quite well protected by the British embassy and the support that I potentially had just from the fact that Britain is like a partner of Qatar and there's there's a historical as we know kind of colonial relationship I guess there um so for me I found um some of the conventions around like for example I would go to interview somebody and I would go let's say with like a junior um production assistant and a, and a cameraman and with for the, it would be a man almost always who I was interviewing and they would sort of be slapping each other's backs and like having a great time and being best friends and then I, they wouldn't shake hands with me or even like acknowledge me. And some of that, you know, they say it's like a religion thing. And, I, I, you know, I'm not here to question people's conventions and religious beliefs. That's fine. Sometimes it, it's just a culture thing as well, though, right, Kate? That's true. But equally, it did create, it does, you know, when you're making a relationship, yeah. a lot of reporting and, and any of this stuff is like about building relationships. And so Absolutely. if we had it, in fact, I think we put it in the, I can't remember which episode it would be, but we meant went to meet the... um we went to meet one of the guys who was in one of the Qataris who's in charge of one of the stadiums. And he's, you know, he said the whole thing about not wanting to shake my hand because I wasn't his family member. And I was sort of like, fine. And then he's, you know, I knew about that. And he was like, it's because I'm showing you respect. And like, I think sometimes the way to show, or always the way to show someone respect is to ask them how they would feel respected. Right. Um, So yeah, I didn't, I didn't always feel respected um, by people I was working with, but you know, I, I, I tried to, um, deal with that as best I could. What I would say is, though, um, 
female workers were very vulnerable and when they were from places like the Philippines, for example, or if they were working, one of the people we spoke to from Amnesty said that they were particularly concerned about those workers from that part of the world in the country because quite often they'd be working in the homes like as maids and and there's a whole system with kafala the way that the the employment works like you you arrive your employer is responsible for you they take your passport now you know there's all sorts of discussion about how far that's been broken down now but in terms of people you know living in homes i've spoken to plenty of people who have had very difficult situations with that i even know someone who you know ended up getting out of the like running away from her employer in order to just like get out of that toxic situation so i think it's a lot more dependent on your nationality probably my experience of it that than than gender and there are also like some hugely powerful female qataris you know sheikha moza who's responsible for qatar foundation which is the kind of cultural outreach um part of the qatar state so those people have a, a huge amount of power although often they are like married to um in the her case father emir the guy who was the emir before the current emir so yeah, I mean, I found it, I found it a difficult place to work, as I say, in terms of building those relationships. But then, I guess in the end, you know, I had some wonderful benefits in the sense that I was able, like, the first episode opens with me watching um, this supposed women's Qatar national team, which is basically a, a fiction, as we discover, um, that was set up for the bid, so they could say, you know, oh look, we, we've got the we've got the women's that, you know, we're we're great. Um, and they haven't played since 2015. But I was able to go in there and like see a league, like a domestic kind of made again, like a small little domestic league, and have a kickabout. Whereas no guys were able to go in there because it's, you know, the whole pitch is covered and there's like two female security guards on the gate so I feel like I was very lucky in the range of people I was able to speak to partly out of curiosity and just wanting to learn about the place and and the and the the geographical region but in some ways yeah I felt like my gender actually was helpful um, because lots of people weren't actually asking these people anything about themselves at all Some great uh, questions and really, really interesting answers. And at the risk of incurring the wrath of producer Des by asking you another question, Kate, ah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I'm really, really curious about the sort of dynamic that we see in the stands at the moment. Obviously, we saw, we've seen like, uh, you know, Qatari higher up celebrating Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But we also knew that Qatar, you know, was quite an embattled state, sort of in the years building up to the World Cup, not getting on that well with certain neighbours. Obviously, there's always been that friction with the Saudis for example do you feel like what we're seeing now is genuinely sort of like a thawing of the relationships between some of these countries or is this kind of superficial and designed just to sort of aid the image of the world cup oh my goodness what a fascinating question yeah when i was at like just after i arrived in 2017 this blockade between um saudi and and uh, and their kind of uh, a, a group of the nations around that region stopped uh having trade with Qatar closed the borders and there was all this there was this idea that there were like 12, I think it was a list of 12 demands that had to be met and then they would start treating Qatar differently again and and they said that Al Jazeera so the kind of the journalism or the the well the really impressive TV journalists um center in Qatar that of which B and Sports is a part um that they were the phrase was something like sports terrorists. Um, so it was a really like quite extreme exchange between these countries about what was going on. There was this de- decision, a suggestion that they were going to fill the gap between, so it's a peninsula, Qatar, you know, it's, it, it projects out off Saudi Arabia, effectively, geographically. They were going to fill the gap, the, the border with to- um, nuclear waste. <laughs> This was it, so all of this stuff is like pretty extreme conversations about um, different nations, and so for them to then uh, be bonding again, it's hard to tell how sincere it is. I mean, I think what a lot of that was from is the idea that Qatar, tiny little Qatar, sitting out there, the little brother, if you like, who hadn't been able to be dominant in the region, was becoming this dominant force and indeed had managed to get the World Cup. And we now hear that Saudi Arabia is going to be having the World Cup in future or, or plans to, or let's see what happens. Um, so I guess it seems as though, depending on what happens next, Qatar's approach to geopolitics in the region 
seems to have been quite successful. And if anything, Saudi is now taking a very similar approach. Mm -hmm. We'll see. I'll tell you what, Kate, listening to your voice and the way you explain it was fascinating to me. I was trying to picture a lot of things as you were explaining it and you were interviewing certain people, especially in that first episode when you're talking about the young girls and having to cover and wearing the hijab and having the soccer fields being covered. It was really, really fascinating and I'm, I'm really excited to listen to the rest of the stuff. So can you just let everybody else out there who's who's watching and know where they can find it and where they yeah, can listen brilliant. to it? Oh, oh, thank you so much, Ian. Yeah, um, so it's called Inside the Qatar World Cup. There's three episodes. And if you Google the football ramble feed, so that's like our our parent podcast. Um, so wherever you get your podcast, you should be able to find it. Um, also, or you can, I'm at KVL Mason. That's my Twitter thing. So I've been putting up all of the, the episodes. So yeah, there's three episodes um, and they'll all be on there. Oh, Rafa yeah. likes the football ramble too. Thanks, Honestly, it's great stuff. I mean, <laughs> just fascinating stuff. And we're actually really proud to have you on the show with us as well for the great job and great work that you do. So thanks for coming on. But we're not letting go of you just yet because we're going to go through Group F. Let's get to real quickly. We're about five or six minutes left before we get a check out right here. Uh, Croatia against Canada. Croatia with a 4-1 victory against Canada. Alfonso Davies with the opening goal. Two minutes in, the first goal for a man at a FIFA uh, Men's World Cup. And uh, wow, it was a great goal. But then Croatia, Luis Garcia turned on the style and made it look pretty easy. Yeah, it looked pretty easy, but then not because Canada uh, made it uh, very easy, because definitely they start very well. Something that I, I was concerned about this uh, uh, Canadian team is that um, they were a bit chaotic. A lot of people going forward, a lot of people committed to the, to the attack, and sometimes they forget that they need to defend sometimes. Yeah, you can go forward. I think that uh, 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 Anfield Davis has been playing in four, four or five different positions, a front on the left, on the right, a midfielder, a little <laughs> bit. The centre-back was flying forward. So at the end, when you play against a team that is, let's, don't forget about that, that is a runner-up of the last World Cup, I think that uh, you are going to be in danger. And, well, I think Kramaric was fantastic, Kovacic as well, Modric. Uh, they've been great. They hold, they weigh, they, they have that, that uh, patient that, that is needed. And when they have the chance to start creating a little bit of uh, speed on the ball and the chances start being there. So I think it was a fantastic effort. They never hold up. And, uh, well, I think we'll miss Canada in the, in the knockouts. But uh, I think Croatia was just uh, too, too good to, today against Canada. Yeah, I feel really sorry for Canada because I don't think that they, well, they certainly didn't deserve to lose against Belgium. I thought they were good for at least a point. So to see them going home two games in is, yeah, I think is, is a bit of, a bitter pill to swallow. But we were saying about Croatia and have been saying about Croatia since the tournament started, it was all going to be a question of when they could find the goals. Uh, you know, they've suddenly started to find it. Kramaric, you know, you've got Evergreen, Ivan Perisic chipping in with a couple of assists. Delighted that you guys are getting to see a bit of what I get to enjoy in Liga and with Lovro Meyer as well. I think he's a phenomenal player and really, really love watching him uh, play. And Marco Livaja as well. I saw him play for Hajduk Split a couple of months ago. So to see him finding his shooting boots, that I think is quite encouraging for Croatia. Because there was a point, I mean, after Alfonso Davies opened the scoring for Canada, where I was thinking, you know, we could be seeing sort of two of the top four teams from the 2018 World Cup, or two of the top three teams even from the 2018 World Cup, <laughs> crashing out in the group stage. So for Croatia to avoid it or to, you know, to put themselves in a good position to avoid it, uh, you know, I think is uh, is quite encouraging. But that doesn't stop it being a huge shame for CONCACAF and Canada seeing them go out uh, in this manner. Yeah, speak about watching people every week and enjoying everyone getting to see them. Even Perisic plays for, for uh, Tottenham now, my team. So yeah, I enjoyed his couple of assists and then um, finding the goals. Do you know, I think, well, I know we're going to get onto the Morocco game and probably we'll zip straight onto this after me. Um, but they, I think there was kind of a misunderstanding about how good Morocco are. And so, you know, Croatia drew and looked a little bit flabby against Morocco and people are like, ah, what's going on for Croatia? And the reality is that Morocco are a good side. And I don't know why people didn't know that. <laughs> no, I think a lot of people did know that, but they just didn't expect them to get out of this group because of the talent that's in this group. And, and maybe people expected more from Canada in this group as well. But a few statistics that will come my uh, I'll throw your way as well. Canada, the second nation to be eliminated, obviously, from the World Cup now after Qatar. Um, Kramer, it's the eighth player to score a brace at this World Cup and so happy for him to be scoring goals. Got his 22nd national team goal. And um, I thought it was a fantastic finish. And JJ, even if you didn't have much trust or belief in uh, Croatia, 
Croatia, I put a bit more money on them when they were 1-0 down because I just felt like Canada were going to shit the bed. And they absolutely shit the bed. We're going to get on to the Belgium-Morocco game real quickly, but I want to get your all of your thoughts. And I'll start with you, Lucho, on um, Andre Kramaric post-game. He said, I want to thank the Canada coach for motivation because in the end, Croatia yeah. demonstrated who effed whom. Thoughts yeah. on that one, and and it's not really great from Herdman to make these comments ahead yeah. of a big game like this. Put them in trouble. No, definitely, definitely. I think he, he, uh, when you try to uh, play mind games with the opposition or try to play mind games with your team, you need to be very accurate where you talk or where do you talk because you can say that on the dressing room and that's it. And your your, your players are gonna be fired up for the game, or, or they're gonna think about yeah, we can do this. But when you throw it out there, you can have that. Uh, uh, kind of you receive what, he, what you try to uh, go against. And Kramaric was fantastic. I mean, I don't know if it's because of that. I think it's just because he's a fantastic player. But he was every single time just beating players, dropping his shoulder every single time. Every uh, When he was inside the box, you know that something was going to happen. Let's wait and see. So so passionate, cold blood in one of the finish with the left foot. You can say that that you can see that that's a fantastic, talented player. And in the first game, I think we didn't give it so much credit because he was in and out. But definitely, when a manager starts talking like this, well, uh, fire back no nicely. And well, uh, now you're out, and Croatia is going forward. What can you say now? Yeah, Herman. I mean, that's a that's a low percentage play. Like I was on the BBC coverage in the UK. Um, Mauricio Pochettino was one of the guests, right? And he was talking about how you have to believe when you're the manager. You know, you have to believe that you are the you're the you're the best manager in the world. You your players could potentially go all the way. All this sort of stuff. You know, like. He 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 is a brilliant coach in my view, and I really love hearing him talk. Um, but in the case of Herdman, you might want to just uh, slightly reangle your your sledging <laughs> because, yeah, it's great that he believed that he believed that this was possible and uh, they could take the fight to Croatia. But you don't. I don't know, Alicia. I don't know what you think. Like in terms of being inspired by someone saying stupid stuff from the opposition, like maybe it was just throwing throwing it back in his face afterwards because it was funny, rather than genuinely like having a pin board up in the dressing room with his face on it. Oh, I've had it. Don't worry about that. I can guarantee you that Lucho's had it as well in the locker room. Any <laughs> any newspaper article, like I can put it up there. If you can get motivation from any single thing, that would follow up. Yeah, JJ, what you got? I mean, I think as well, uh, you know, Herdman perhaps fell into this false sense of security that Canada got from dominating against a very poor Belgian side. We got the confirmation today that Belgium are exactly as Kevin De Bruyne says they are. They are not in a good place internationally, despite the fact that they're well ranked. They don't play like a team ranked that high in the world at this moment in time. And I think, you know, just the disappointments at the end of that game, having fallen to a team that Canada were much, much better than for the majority of the game. I think, he, you know, he didn't watch his tongue. And, you know, when you give that kind of ammunition to a team that has the quality that Croatia have, regardless of talking about their attacking options, you know, the chances are that you can always get punished. You know, they didn't finish as runners up in 2018 for, for no reason. They have some phenomenally talented players, uh, you know, and I think that will unfortunately be quite a steep learning curve for, uh, for Herbman. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And listen, now at the moment, the way that Belgium is playing, I don't know if we want really to have them in the knockout stages. I was very surprised. And again, when you make sometimes statements, the brain, we know that he's just honest and throw things. And when he doesn't talk much on the press, on 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 interviews, but when he throws, you know that he's going to say what it really feels. But right after the game, I saw Bertongen mentioning, listen, we are very old in attack now, right? Mm. You know that there is something happening right there. So when you got a player right after the first game talking about we are too old or we are not, it's because the, the, the connection in the in the team is not the best one. Of course, we can go then after um, what they, the way they play or after the, 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 the deliveries or the performances of some of the players, and we can discuss about that. But the first thing is that if you throw something bad in a World Cup in the first game against you, that's because something into the dressing room is not right and nothing is going to work out. It doesn't matter how you throw it, uh, try to clean it or how you are going to put it on the table. It's not going to work out because you need everybody uh, pushing to the same direction. And just because of those words, you know that it's not going to work. 
Yeah. Is it as simple as the, the Morocco side looks? I mean, leaving aside the, the issues that Belgium seem to have, because you, you look at their team sheet and you're like, these guys are storied, illustrious players. I mean, maybe that is the kind of we're too old stuff. And Eden Hazard, I don't know, he, oh, he had one... He had one opportunity where he looked like something to do with his former self, but really not not much. And Michy Batshuayi, yeah. Anyway, I don't, he's not he's not a player that I ne- necessarily um, think of as as one of the greats. Uh, but in terms of Morocco, um, they they just looked like a team to me. I mean, again, Hakim Ziyech, y- you feel he's dangerous when he's on the ball. Roman Seis, he's he's pulling everybody together he was pulling strings he was he looked like a man you know he's a captain he looked like he was a man who was holding things together and there were they had loads of chances before when was the opener like 70 something minutes they had loads of chances so they could have been far far further up even going into half time and that that constant pressure backs to the wall stuff from Belgium you, you don't want to be doing that in any kind of a game and especially not if you're sort of privately talking about the fact that you're a little bit too old for this, as it seems to be the case. I think the the thing that really impresses me about this Morocco side is their mentality. We we've always known that they've had the you know the potential, they have the technical ability, but it's always been a question of uh, you know how they are in terms of the chemistry and whether they can keep their cool when things go against. And they had that goal disallowed at the end of the first half, but they didn't you know let it get to them. They didn't let it play on their minds. They you know they persevered and they got the their reward in the end in the final fifteen minutes with those two goals. I think the thing that staggers me the most in this Belgium side is one, it's set up really basically to rely on Courtois bailing them out whenever chances get created against them. And two, there are informed guys. Trossard, for example, is doing really well at Brighton barely even get a look in. I find some of the selection decisions bizarre, yeah. you know, especially when they're in a situation where they can't really even create any clear-cut chances, let alone test opponent goalkeepers. And that's without getting into the whole mess of uh, Morocco, who was starting in goal today, which was also quite amusing in terms oh, of World yes. Cup subplots. But uh, no, it's uh, on- honestly... I. Belgium hugely underwhelming. I expected them to tank, but maybe not quite as spectacularly as this. Was there something wrong with his lenses? Oh, sorry to talk over you, Ian. No, go was sorry. The, oh, I was going to ask about the goalkeeper. What was the story there? Was it something, some sort of? I think it was illness. Was the idea. It was illness. You could see him on his uh, knees. Um, yeah, in some of the photos. Yeah, it must yeah. have been. For someone to take place in the national anthem and then absolutely disappear from the picture. I mean, even the commentator or over here in the United States, the commentator was still talking about Bunu. He wasn't even in the goal. They were still wow. talking about the old goalkeeper. They thought he'd actually played. So it was a bit bizarre and a bit crazy. But I will say this, on support of all you have added to it, uh, Morocco looked sensational. And my, oh my, the support inside the stadium was was passionate. Every time they went near the goal, you could feel the energy. There was like a, a pulse around that stadium. And the players were feeding off that energy. It was fantastic to see. And that's, that's why we love this game, to see results like this against the so-called giant in Belgium who look like a minnow. No, they don't look like a giant. And I would have to say that um, for the coaching staff of Belgium now, it looks like it could be big, big trouble for them after what I, in my opinion, has been some very poor performances. we got to move on. But before we do, let's get your predictions of who gets out this group here real quickly after match day two. Croatia, Morocco and Belgium. Canada already out. Who goes through? Morocco, Belgium in that match day three is going to be an absolute banger. Lucho, who gets out? Uh, Spain, Morocco. Easy. Spain, Easy. Morocco. I, Spain, Morocco. Spain. Croatia, Morocco. It's because I was thinking, I was thinking about Morocco against Spain, and I st- it stuck in my head. I was they thinking, can't I don't go want twice. They can't go through twice. I was, I, I was thinking, I don't want to face uh, Croatia in the in the knockouts, and uh, maybe Morocco, and then I stuck on there. No, Croatia, Morocco for me, yeah. Yeah, Ooh. I think we're all going to agree, aren't we? I'd have thought. I think, oh, the other thing I would say as um, the kind of Middle East correspondent today um, is quite often it's teams from the the geographical region of the world who win the World Cup. Now, I'm not going to say that Morocco are going to go on and win the World Cup, but there tends to be an advantage to being to playing your World Cup in the general geographical area. I promise. Ooh. Take a Ooh. look. <laughs> JJ, who, who's going through this one here? I mean, it's a big... Croatia, uh, big Mar- Croatia Morocco. Yeah. Oh, man. I hope it does. I hope it does. I hope <laughs> it's the three that goes through there. But uh, disappointing to see uh, Belgium perform in the way they have done. Let's get your predictions, obviously, in the games that are coming up on uh, Monday. We're really looking forward to watching Group G action. It's Cameroon against Serbia, Brazil against Switzerland. Um, some scenarios that could take place, obviously, for Brit- Brazil, they could qualify if they get the win in Serbia, win or draw. Um what do you think? Is there a game in particular, JJ, you're looking forward to from Group G? 
Well, I think there's quite a few. I mean, I think it's difficult to look past Portugal, Uruguay in terms of pedigree, but, uh, you know, Brazil, Switzerland could be, you know, quite an underrated one because Switzerland have the ability to be a very, very difficult team to break down. There's no Neymar. We know he's probably not going to feature again before the end of the group stage. Uh, and as good as Brazil were once they got going against uh, Serbia, uh, you know, maybe this Swiss side could uh, nullify them. But that said, I think the, the one that everyone will be watching, well, everyone bar me because I'll be at a concert is... Uh, <laughs> Portugal versus Uruguay. <laughs> what Kate, hopefully, you going to? hopefully you're not going to I'm a going, concert, I'm, Kate. <laughs> I'm, go, I'm going to see. I'm going to see Phoenix, and as it's a hometown concert, uh, couldn't miss it. <laughs> That's uh, brilliant. Uh, no, I, thought, I, I think no, actually Brazil Switzerland could be quite. It, it has the potential to be kind of dull potentially. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully Richarlison will pop up with another scorpion kick, and then that will just make it all worthwhile. But there is. You're right. You know, if for Switzerland, you've got to assume that for Switzerland to be able to get a result there, they will have to to do this kind of nullifying performance that really doesn't doesn't set my heart on fire. So, hey, I like to watch Cameroon. Let's let's enjoy that one. Rachel. I, th- I think that I expected something from the Serbia team. He was one of my dark horses, we can call it this way. And I was expecting a little bit more in the first game, but you play against Brazil, so whatever. Uh, but yeah, I'm with, with JJ. I'm going to go for a Portugal game against Uruguay. I think that is going to be a cracker. I'm, I can't wait to see if the Ronaldo can continue scoring, what is the team that is going to be played, because I'm still missing some of the Portuguese players. And Uruguay... Come on, I need more from them. I think that they have a lot more uh, into this game. And, well, if they can manage to get a good result, yeah, it's going to be interesting, that that, that group. Oh, Portugal will qualify to around the 16 with a win. And obviously, the top group age, if they get a win or um, we see a draw in the other game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Gamma. Ghana. They'll be eliminated if oh. they do lose as well, which is uh, incredibly frustrating. But uh, I just want to say thanks to everybody for joining today. I appreciate you guys. Um, Kate, uh, real quickly, before we get out of here, um, just remind everybody where they can find your stuff, where you are on social media so that they can uh, follow you along. You're such a good egg. Thank you. Um, yeah, at KVL Mason is my Twitter handle or on um, Instagram as well. Uh, and at Football Ramble is where they'll have lots of information about the the series that I was talking about. And you can just get that on your on your podcast feed. So search for Football Ramble and then it'll be in there inside the Qatar World Cup. Uh, yeah, come and hang out with me. Let's chat about Qatar and indeed the football. Guys, it was so nice to to catch up after that game. It's Sometimes you like go, you watch it and you're on a massive high and then you just have to like go to bed. So this was much better. <laughs> you are welcome to join us anytime you want. And for everybody out there who's looking to catch up with Luis Garcia, just go find wherever the sangria is. He will be around those shelves. <laughs> and if you want to find JJ, just go to a Phoenix concert somewhere near Paris. You'll find him as well. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening to House of Champions. Please make sure you take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Also available as videos, so subscribe to us on YouTube. Back at it again tomorrow, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern, so make sure you are with us live and kicking. Kate, Lucho, JJ, appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you.